Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Uh, this is part two. Well, look, not exactly part two, like the other half. No, that implies that you need to listen to the first half to get this half. This is the rest of my chat with Steve Hofstetter. If you want to hear the whole thing, uh, we kick it off last episode. This is the rest of that chat. You don't need to listen to the other episode. I tried to describe it as like a Kit Kat. It's the same thing twice or four times, depending on the size. You don't need to eat both. You don't need to eat the whole thing. You don't need to eat one separately to the other. This is just me talking to my good friend and hilarious American comedian, Steve Hofstetter. Uh, In this In this part of the chat, we talk about releasing comedy specials on YouTube before it was cool, uh, the increasingly political nature of American comedy, and specifically Steve's comedy, uh, and a little little dash of anti-Semitism, why not? It's nice and topical. And of course, his brand new stand-up comedy special, The Recipe, currently streaming on YouTube. Uh, I know that these days it is very common to release comedy specials on YouTube, but Steve was doing it before it was cool. Uh, I like giving credit where credit is due. I think it's important to acknowledge who was there before you. Uh, And that's not just because I'm a white person living in Australia. (laughs) This isn't even just a traditional owner thing. But yes, this is the second bit of my chat with Steve Hofstetter. I'll put a link to the special, the recipe in the comments. You should definitely check that out. But otherwise, let's dive straight in. And you know who's going to take us there? Of course you do. It's Verticoli. I wanted to I wanted to ask you what you think about YouTube kind of being the release method, the cool release method now, because you're someone who has frequently uh, suggested that you're not one of the cool kids, but here you are on on the YouTube, having started the YouTube revolution to a degree. What? Do, how do you feel about it? Yeah, but you don't get you don't get credit for that. Just because it's factually accurate doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> nothing makes you less of a cool kid than being like, actually, I was the first person. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, I just have to keep my head down and keep doing good work. And it's as simple as that. But do you do you like it? Do you like that more people are kind of coming around to your ways? Like, is that is that is that heartening? Do you think the, the competition makes it um, more difficult? Like, what's uh, what's the vibe? Well... I like anything that expands stand up mm. because the you know the key to marketing comedy is reminding people it's an option. That's it's it's not something that people have at you know front of mind and so the more mm. stuff like this works, you know the the better that these reels do, the better, you know, the, the more people are likely to go see stand up. Um when you know most major cities in America have and I don't mean like first tier you know, like New York, LA, etc. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> most cities, like mid, I guess, mid tier cities. So cities, cities that cities that Australian tourists have maybe driven through, or transited through at an airport. Is that what we're talking about here? They're not a destination city. They're a hey, I reckon there'll be gas in that city. Is that the kind of? No, more than that. 
More so, than that? Do they have a sports uh, Seattle. team? Seattle. Like Seattle. Okay. Yep, Portland. yep, yep. They got Fra- um, Fraser Crane, Rain, Starbucks, Seattle. Yeah, real yeah. city. Uh, exactly. Orlando, Tampa, like places mm. that are sizable, uh, big enough to have at least a major sports franchise, if not four. Mm. And most of those cities have one, maybe two comedy clubs. So on a given night, you, the idea that if two clubs are sold out, you're looking at 400 to 700 tickets mm. in a city that, you know, will have one or 2 million people in the metro area. And so the idea that these cities can't support more than one or two clubs is because people just aren't going to see stand up. Meanwhile, movies are dying. Like the movie industry is absolutely dying or the, you know, the, Ticketed movie industry. The, the, I don't the mean. cinema, the cinema industry, the yes, film, the, cinema the industry, film, the it, film industry, the blockbuster the film industry, industry. The opening weekend the, is dead. Not even Tom Cruise yeah, fil- and his ageless fucking head can bring it back. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. And in any city, no matter the size or whatever, there are still going to be like ten to twenty movie theaters, mm. and and each of those has several screens showing movies at the same time. But like so, Steve, I got a I got a I got a curveball here. Okay. If comedy clubs were a viable location for teenagers to give each other hand jobs, do you Ooh, think good point. <laughs> do you think we would be able to sell more cuz like if there was just like a row where like the table kind of had like a front tablecloth but no back tablecloth, I think we get some kids <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the ticket, tickets are more expensive to comedy, which might limit that a little bit. And but I mean, and I mean, the, look, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know if you've read Twitter, but some comedians would probably enjoy that in their audience. I'm not going to say Chris D'Elia would play there a lot, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, why not? Why not take a shot at a guy? Fucking 17-year-olds. Anyway, you were saying yeah. number of comedy clubs. Uh, and look, we don't know if he was fucking 17 year olds. We were, we just know that he was talking to 15 year olds on Instagram and then waiting as soon as they turned 18 before messaging them again, which is, <laughs> you know, creepy in, in, uh, in a very specific way. Just imagine, that imagine said, that guy's calendar, you know, it's just I'm like, I'm trying to talk business <laughs> and you're like, let's bring up, why don't we just talk about pedophilia? This is the difference between you and I, Dan. this is the difference. <laughs> and I was, that I was raised Catholic. You're right. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Speaking of not front of mind for me. Um, so I like I do think that anything that expands comedy in the general consciousness of people is a positive thing. Mm. However, um, yeah, it'd be nice for some of the people who spent a while shitting on me for doing it to then apologize since they're doing it like there was a thread uh there, there's a facebook thread by a comedian i do not want to give any oxygen to um and there were probably 20 different you know aspiring comics on it who were commenting about how shitty it was that i i had crowd work and heckler clips up and when this whole thing was getting really popular um a buddy of mine sent me the thread and said, I went through all of these people and every single one of them has crowd work clips up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. Shitty people are going to be shitty people no matter what. And, you know, all you could do is 
put good work out there and hang out with the right people. Well, that that's the thing. Like, I, I think it's just, as I said before, I think it's just a reflection of their laziness because they don't want to learn how to yeah. do that. And it's much easier to say that it sucks than say that you suck and are too lazy to figure out how to do it. Like, you know, that's yeah, such an easier mental gymnastics. Yeah, and there's a lot of crowd work out there and a lot of heckler clips out there that are terrible. Mm. I mean, there are people that will literally be like, where are you from? And someone's like, Denver. And they're like, I hate Denver. Boom. And then like, that's the, <laughs> it's the stupidest thing. Like, you've still got to be clever in order for it to work. And and I will be honest, I am, you know, I, I am human as much as I don't want to be annoyed when that stuff has a million views. I do get annoyed, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, the, there's... The genre itself is not a problem if you are clever at it, you know, and some really great comics are using it very, very well. Um, Jeff R. Curry, who is an absolute sweetheart and a very funny comic and recently got past the Comedy Cellar, and he does a lot of crowd work there and his crowd work clips are blowing up and good. I'm really glad to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, do you ever hear about the guy who invented auto-tune? I think he was... For some reason, I think he was Australian. I don't know. We, we, we have such weird inventions. Like, you know, we invented, uh, we were part of inventing Wi-Fi. Uh, we invented the, the lawnmower. We invented the clothesline with the thing. And we also invented women, Jermaine Greer, 1970. But like, you know, it's uh, a whole... Wait, 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 wait. Australia, <laughs> the, the claim that Australia partially invented Wi-Fi blows my mind more than the, than the fabrication that Australia invented women. <laughs> well, are you saying that because this is the second the second thing we've had to start because my Wi-Fi keeps fucking dropping out? You know what I mean? When you no, invent I'm, something, I'm Steve, you don't innovate. Because I've, I'm saying that because I've spent time in Australia. Yeah. And, and sometimes it would, it, like, I would get thrown out of a cafe before I downloaded 10 messages because, it was, <laughs> I, because I was already there for an hour. Yeah. Um, see, if we invented it, we didn't make it our own, you know, we just started. <laughs> I was, this is absolutely true. I was in a, I was in a hotel in Melbourne and they, I guess they track the visitor's usage of Wi-Fi, and they had Ooh. shut mine off. Is that real? That's terrifying. Yeah. They like, tra I mean, they didn't track what sites you use, oh, but they tracked like. Download. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they tracked and they're, and they were like. I got a call, like my internet stopped working. And then I get a call that says like, you've already used three gigabytes of, of data. And I'm like, yeah, what's your point? And they're like, that's too much. I was like, there's nothing in the check-in that says that I am limited, but also that's like half an episode of Dr. Who. Like that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous that that's your limit. That's so crazy. I mean, I would yeah. be very confused by that. Cause like you know you just you just be you just be there, and like your your internet gets shut off, and you're like God, what am I gonna have to like masturbate to a GIF now? This is no good. This is this is <laughs> this is this is like right. rations during the war. Do you think? Look, tw twenty year old it, Steve could have done that. I don't, I don't think <laughs> Steve in his forties can do that. <laughs> like, do you? Sorry, this just occurred to me. Do you think like during the next war, like because there's gonna be the cyber element of the war, like there's gonna be internet rations, like there were you know, rations of food during the last wars. It's going to be like, hey, 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 we need all our bandwidth to repel uh, the Eastern European hackers. Like, you only get internet for 10 minutes a day. And if you hear the siren, you got to shut it off because the viruses are coming. Is that too dystopian? I think it's gonna, 
I think it's going to be worse than that because, you know, as as we have seen with, you know, Russia and Ukraine, one of the things that they did was target Ukraine's Internet. Mm. And that is that is something that we will see. I mean, you see that with domestic terrorists in the States. Now, there were four power stations in Washington that were targeted. And I don't mean D.C. I mean, Washington State. Sure. And yeah, where they, you know, shut people's power down. And that includes Internet. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. They're like trying to do the cyber attacks. And like there was that, what was it? It was like a, a virus that America, I think, sent to Iran. I mean, this is all allegedly, obviously, um, sent to Iran to like make the nuclear reactors spin too fast. So like the the system was kind of shut down. Like that's kind of the new, the new kind of front of warfare. So yeah, I think yeah, they're just going to shut our absolutely. internet down for the safety of the country. Interesting. You reckon, you reckon that'll just get kids to enlist? It's just like, I can't play Call of Duty online anymore. Fuck it. Let's go. Let's get in the trench, bitch. I think I think what'll get them to enlist is they're told, hey, you got selected to play Call of Duty live. <laughs> it's a special opportunity. <laughs> and the winner gets, and they'll just make up some prize, and then a bunch of idiots will be like, yeah, yeah. let's go. Special or opportunity what? or special ops. Fuck, that's sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Or they'll tell... Uh, they'll tell all of these uh, all of these idiots that classify themselves as alpha males that like the real way to be an alpha male is you're not a real alpha unless you've killed someone in combat and then they'll enlist and it'll be stupid. Good little good little transition to politics. I would say in the time I've known you, you've become more overtly political. Not more political. I think you've always been a political guy, but. Um, I've noticed that with American comedians in general, I think like the people who are left wing are kind of more left wing or at least more outwardly left wing than they were. I think the people who were right wing are more outwardly, you know what I mean? Like they're, they've been, they're just kind of pausing mid joke to say support the troops and then fucking jump back in. But like, is it, is it just purely a response to Trump? Cause that's when it happened. Like, I think that's when, that's when it seems like Americans were like, we really need to pick a side. And it's like, but if you look at American politics, like it's been, you know, bipartisan hell for 20 fucking years. Like, why, why now? I've become, I've become more directly outspoken, I think, as I've become more informed. But I was always outspoken on the issues I did know something about. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember walking a lot of people from the crowd when I was doing, you know, pro-gay marriage material in the early 2000s. Mm. Um, you know, I was doing, uh, I, there was this very short lived, uh, comedy tour that was in response to the blue collar comedy tour and how that was like sweeping the nation and this, this idea of like, isn't it hilarious to be ignorant? And mm. there was a tour that was put together called the blue stater comedy tour. <laughs> and I was one of the people on it. You know, I mean, I've been, I've been vocally political, for a very long time, I think it's just become a higher percentage of my content. Sure. And part of that is because it's needed. You know, I remember how upset I was when Trump won in 2016. And I performed at the Laugh Factory the next day. And I, I started my set by saying, I appreciate you guys coming out. I know a lot of you called in sad to work today. Because <laughs> there were so many people that were just like, you know, zombies almost. Just what do we do now? And I did, yeah. I, you know, it was a 15 minute set and I plucked material from the last few albums and I did everything I had that I thought was the most progressive in sure. my set. 
and I did 15 minutes on gay rights and women's rights and immigration and gun control and everything that I was afraid would become more important than it already was. Mm. And I felt alive, if that makes sense. Like on stage, like I had this, oh yeah, I can do something with this time. Wait, you felt I don't need uh, to just make people laugh. Alive, like a fetus at the moment of conception, like alive. We're just checking. Well, according to some politicians in Georgia, <laughs> like three weeks before conception. But wait, what? Yeah, if you—that's not a thing. You, Get the fuck out of here! Oh, no, no, no. If if you think of coming, you have to pay taxes on the sperm. It's a whole thing. Dude. But I'm um, no, it's not. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, but but it's close. So it's, it's getting there. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, the minority report, which is not just thinking of crimes ahead of time and getting arrested, but it's also that they're going to encourage you to report every minority. So <laughs> it just became more important to me. And, you know, and, and I, I felt more of a responsibility, especially as I could reach more people. Sure. And it, you know, it just kind of snowballed that way. And I got more involved in some political circles and, you know, with both politicians slash activists, as well as with, you know, other entertainers that were politically motivated. And, you know, it's it's something that was needed. Well, so you guys, I, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I remember yeah. with Nowhere Comedy Club, which was the online comedy club during the during the pandemic, you guys did that drive for, was it Wisconsin? Some? Yeah, we we helped turn we helped turn uh, Wisconsin blue, which was something uh, I so I messaged uh, so uh, Ben Glebe was the one who had coordinated it, mm. and I messaged him when Wisconsin flipped, and I said you were because we had raised over half a million dollars for Wisconsin, which mm. what you know and and considering how how low the vote tally was. In, or how low the margin was that, you know, that's a big deal. And I, I texted him when that happened, I was like, Hey man, you know, your work may have just helped decide the presidential election. And then like three more States flipped and I texted him again. I was like, yeah, it turned out it didn't matter, but you know, still it was good. It was nice. <laughs> for, for a moment there, you were integral. Uh, but yeah, now it is exactly. you know, part of the, part of the, part of the thing. Um, yeah. Cause like, I don't know. I just find it interesting. Um, I guess from like an international perspective, because you said that you, you know, you've felt the need to speak out more that you've become informed, uh, which is, which is not generally how I see people who are outspoken. Uh, I think, I think generally <laughs> it's a lack of information yeah. that causes them to speak really loud. But I mean, that's a very, that's a very fair point, but I just, I don't know. I just, as an Australian looking at the American political system, um, it seems so broken um, and so insane in it's like, partisanship like it, it, does it bother you that like you're kind of feeling the need to go left and you're like is that going to alienate people from the right even more and it's just going to be this huge fucking chasm or are you just like hey this is just this is just what it is and i'm just participating in the system um i'm not doing it to participate in the system mm. um i i think that there are a lot of things that are broken but even within the democratic party like the fact that they still have this myth in their head that running a centrist Democrat will get centrist Republicans to vote for them. No, no, it fucking won't. Running a progressive candidate will energize people who believe in progressive values to go to the polls. And that's the only way you win. And so I, there comes a certain point where 
I will debate all day about economic theory. If someone wants to tell me that they're a classical economist instead of a Keynesian, sure, let's talk. <laughs> I disagree, but let's talk. Mm. If someone wants to tell me that immigrants are taking our jobs and teachers are grooming students by allowing them to talk about being gay, like that's one where I'm just like, fuck off, you need to be stopped. And that to me is not political sides, that's good and evil. And I have a lot of issues with the Democratic Party, especially the you know center base of it. Mm. But like political parties aren't a life partner. Political parties are public transit. Get on the fucking bus. Get off at your stop. You don't have to like the bus. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting analogy. I guess I guess like the reason that I'm curious about it is because I think in Australia, if you were overtly political as a comedian or just even as a uh, personality like that would only hinder you because Australian politics is so boring like so boring <laughs> like that everyone just be like oh my I need to I need to leave like this is horrific right like Australian politics is so boring that we participate in your politics just because something's ha like you might not agree with it, but fuck me, things are going like Australians flew to America to like campaign for Trump. There were people. I mean, fuck. This is sorry. You just reminded me when we talk about Trump winning because like it's still it's one of those things you just kind of forget happened. Maybe that's not for you guys, but like over here, it's just like you just forget yeah. sometimes. You're just like, whoa, that was wild. Because like when he was running initially, because like I, you know, this Steve, like I'm a I'm a filthy hipster who like you know will one day drown in irony. That's kind of that's kind of how I live. Um, I got the Make America Great Again hat in like 2014 or 2015, just when it came out, like just when it started. I've got it. Mary's family, my wife's family bought it for me for a birthday present because they were like, this is going to make Dan laugh so hard. And I got it. And I'm yeah. like, this is awesome. This is going to be like ironic in like 18 months. In 18 months, this is going to be like, you, you know what I mean? Just like getting something so crazy and you're just kind of wearing it after the fact and it's just like hey how funny is that and like yeah. i i don't i don't know if i actually i think i might have thrown it out because i'm like i just can't i can't be i can't be having this like i i always because I, I wore it a couple of times just around like redfern which is like a really hipster suburb and like everyone to get the irony but then i wore it to like a service station where like i, I went regularly like a gas station uh where like the guy working behind the counter was like a, a, like from somewhere else and he saw that hat and treated me so differently for like two years. He was like, oh, wow, you're a piece of shit. I had no idea. Whereas like, I just thought the irony of that hat was like so obvious, like just so obvious that the fact that he then people like no. people still wear it. People are like, ah, it's, it's like a gateway the, to a fucking swastika. It's crazy. The, the craziest ugh. thing about those hats is that it might be the worst designed piece of political paraphernalia of all time. It is, what is it, Courier New? Like, it's just <laughs> a couple of words. It's just a couple of words in a basic font on a hat. It is not, there's no logo, there's no, it is the dumbest, ugliest, cheapest piece of shit, which is, <laughs> oh, what an allegory that is. Um... <laughs> But it is, and it is because the people who are meant to buy it have no taste. Mm. 
yeah, it's it's not about it's not about looking like any sort. It's just like the message, the thing, the t- you just want it to be as identifiable as simple as possible. Well, yeah, and that's why also Trump people are like, oh, how did Biden win if no one has Biden tattoos and no one's <laughs> using Biden flags on their trucks and no one's named their kid Biden? It's like because we're not insane. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like America takes merchandising to a level that no other country could possibly fathom. Well, look, don't you put all merchandising in that one conversation, <laughs> all right? I am fine with merchandising. Do, is this but, coming directly from Steve Hofstetter, the patron saint of merch? Is that is that the, correct? Yes, the Patreon saint of merch. The, <laughs> the low, it was just the low effort that bothered me. I mean, aside from the affiliation with fascism, but the low effort is really... Yeah, the, I mean, say say what you want, say what you want about previous forms of fascism. Snazzy, snazzy uniforms. Yeah. They put they put a shift in. They had a color scheme. They had some real basic tones and like you know like a bright red. Like you know what I mean? They were working hard there. They, that thing even yeah, popped stole, on black and white film. Yeah, they they stole uh, hate symbols from cultures that where they weren't hate symbols just enough so that someone who thinks they're an educated person could be like you know the swastika is actually not that bad it's a symbol of life and that's <laughs> why i justify wearing it as a tattoo um <laughs> like yeah it's just it was so you can't afford 40 bucks for for a uh for a graphic designer from a third world country that's how trump does his stuff you know? like <laughs> come on nice little post-structural capitalism there um, yeah, exactly. What was, I was going to say, so with, with Trump, I mean, you've got the opportunity now. He's, you know, he's, he's regrouping. The wagons The wagons are a-gathering. Uh, what, what logo? Because his logo's just been his name in font. That's been his logo forever, like a very stripped-down logo. Like, what, is there anything that you would p- potentially offer uh, the Republican campaign as a, as a logo? Uh, You're like, hey, guys, maybe think about... You know, like a bald eagle with like a with like a rifle, like you know, protecting a pregnant woman, like maybe something like that. Uh, I think what they would do is they would do like the American flag, but mm-hmm. turn it ninety degrees so that it represents <laughs> the bars he'll be behind. I think that's a very patriotic, but also kind of honest way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, and the stars could be like at the top because like you'll be able to look out the window at the thing. You know, it's good stuff. Exactly. This is this is this is yeah. what we've needed all along. Okay, nice. I like it. We figured out the Trump political logo. Uh, the one thing I was going to say, we we kind of tangentially, uh, you know, got into the got into the swastika and stuff there. Um, you're you're a Jewish man, Steve. I don't know if you know this. Have you heard? You're Jewish. Um, I oh, I not only do I know from my own background, but I'm aware based on my YouTube comments. It's mentioned. Oh yeah, a couple times. I yeah. I, I, I assume in an entirely positive uh, way. Always brought up like, oh man, fantastic Jewish guy. Love that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Uh, there's never been anyone. Ugh, I was just so I just did. Uh, I just did uh, Doctor Drew's podcast, mm-hmm. and um, I don't do a lot of podcasts. And part of you know part of why is because like we were talking about this was you know as the whole Kanye thing was breaking, mm. and and we talked about it, and I said in it, I go because he he said something about how like he doesn't think it's as pervasive and i go it's going to be in the comments of your own podcast look at the comments there will be tons of anti-semitism just because i'm jewish like just because you have a jewish guest on there will be anti-semitic comments and there were so many comments that were basically like 
oh, he just made that up. There's no anti-Semitism in those comments. Look at these Jews making things up. <laughs> right there. Right there. That, yeah, because yeah. like, I don't, you know, I don't want to go into it too hard, but it's like, I feel like, I feel like it's on the rise. There's kind of like an anti-Semitism, like it's kind of coming. There's kind of like a movement. And do you do you think? Because I like Steve. I don't know if you're aware. I'm I'm uh, in no minority. I'm I am the major. Like, do you do you get where I'm coming going here? Like, yeah. I belong to no groups. None. I'm a straight white man, lapsed Catholic. Like nothing. There's nothing that you can have a shot at me on apart from my receding hairline, which, you know, fair enough, go for it. But, well, I am not the person to do that. <laughs> and thank you. That's, that's why we're such good friends. Um, we share we share similar vulnerabilities. But I was just curious because, like, do you, when it, because it just seems to come up, like, something I just do not comprehend. I, I, I don't understand that when people are confused by things, somehow the explanation is uh, that Jewish people did it. That that seems to be the base of all anti-Semitism. It's just like this thing happened in my life. I can't explain why it must have been them. That's how I interpret it anyway, as like an outsider to that. Like, do you does it do you want to then meet that by being more Jewish? Or like do you have, do you feel like you have to identify it? Like identify with uh, it more. What the hell does that mean? Well, just did- like you mean more outspoken about being Jewish, yeah. or like playing into stereotypes? No, like, no. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, playing that—that that is exactly what I was going for there, Steve. I would like you to occupy more Jewish stereotypes, if possible. Uh, that's what—that's what you need to do to represent your people. No, just like I don't know. I just I find that if no one brings anything up, you just kind of get to be a person, right? Like that's kind of yes. that's that's how you get to be. But when people constantly bring up like a certain angle, then you kind of have to. Uh, either go along with it, like oppose it. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I'm just curious oh. if you feel kind of like more, like you're just like, I need to be more outspokenly Jewish. Like not that I've... Well, I have to be, you know, I have, I, I actually have to be more careful, I think, mm. because I, I get very annoyed when, when public figures will play into the stereotype because it, that doesn't help. Mm. Um, and so I, I do have to be more careful and it's everything from like, you know, there's the stereo, there's a stereotype about, uh, you know, about Jews being cheap and my whole life, like from the time I started tipping, like from, you know, when I, from the time I started buying my own food. So from 17 years old, basically, mm. I, that was in the back of my mind. Every time I would tip, I would be like, can't, I can't be what they what they think I'm going to be. I can't be what they're going to criticize me for. And I had no money at that time. Mm. And I still made sure I've been a good tipper my whole fucking life. And like little things like that and what what people don't understand and it fi- I it finally clicked with me during a story I read uh a story I read about a black person being called a racial slur. Mhm. And it led to a physical fight. And the quote that stuck with me was they said, when that guy called me this, I wasn't hearing it from him. I was hearing the 10,000 other times I've been called that. Mm. And that is why I get so sensitive by stuff like that. When, 
you, there's a there's a video that uh, anti-Semites, the video of mine that anti-Semites love to use, where uh, I had done a joke where there's a rhetorical question about I, I talk about uh, the Jews will not replace us chant, and I and there was a rhetorical question where I go, sorry, oh, sorry, it was, yeah, the Jews will not replace yeah. us chant. Is that a thing? That's a, are we, that's are a we, thing. Are we concerned? Am I, should, I, should I be concerned? What are we talking? No, that's my point. <laughs> that it, it's so wild that they're like, Jews will not replace us. And be like, there are fewer Jews than there are redheads. Like, you are <laughs> ridiculous to think that that's possible. The redheads but, will not replace us, chant lifeguards in <laughs> Australia. Very concerned. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the joke, or part of the joke, is there's a rhetorical question where I go, what job do you have? that you think we're coming for you. And someone at a show yells out TV. That, so, that, that person was a TV? That's excellent. Yes, that, that person was a TV. And and honestly, those are going away. They're just being replaced by monitors and <laughs> phones. So it's real tough. I like That, that to um, me is the final stage of American evolution where a person is also a TV. They are, they yeah, are just I mean, fused together in standard definition, obviously, but like a big screen, very large, very large screen. Um, not, the, a, not, a, not a flat the screen. great Willy Wonka foretold. <laughs> um, the, yeah, and so he yelled out TV, and I snapped at him. I got very angry mm. and because that is an anti-Semitic trope that is directly derived from Nazi propaganda. Mm. Um, that's the history of the, of the myth that you know jewish people control hollywood mm. that jewish people are overrepresented in hollywood but that's because it used to be a fringe industry and we weren't allowed in non-fringe industries mm. and so we were forced into hollywood and then after we were forced into it people were like why are you guys here it's like you fucking you did that so <laughs> anyway aside from knowing the history of it and how frustrated i was it was a lifetime of hearing that garbage and mm. so i snapped at him and there were all these terrible anti-Semitic people who will comment and be like, oh, he just said two words, two letters. And sometimes on my social media stuff, people will just comment the word TV. They'll yeah. just write TV because they're referencing that video. And of course, if you look at their timeline, it's like full of way worse stuff than that. But the reason I was so upset about it was because of not that guy yelling it. If that was the only time I ever heard it, my response would have been like, what do you mean? Mm. But it was not the only time I'd ever heard it. I've heard it constantly. And so that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the difference between someone poking you in the chest and someone poking you in the chest when you've already got a bullet hole. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's that. You will not feel that. But if you have a wound there already, it'll fucking hurt. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe this is just uh, ignorant or like simplistic for me. It's just I think everyone just kind of wants to go about their lives and like they're not really that interested in like having to explain like their background or like the things they were raised in to you. Like they're just quite happy to be like, "How you going? Yeah, good, thanks." Like that's yeah, that's fine. Like, uh, but then you know, if you're if you're kind of being addressed in a certain way or like being presented as a certain like person, then you kind of got to respond to that. And I was just wondering, like, because just it just feels like it's just kind of bubbling up. Like, and for the first time in my lifetime, anyway, like, I've never really felt that. Like, you know, I was born 89. And, like, I've never really been like, oh, man, they, they seem to be they seem to be getting very angry at Jewish people for some reason. Well, it, it's the first time it might be bubbling up in Australia or mm. the media is coming through there. It's definitely gotten worse the last couple of years. I think mm. hate speech certainly got 
emboldened by uh, nationalist candidates mm. um, and nationalist leaders. Um, that said, uh, it's been my whole life, man. I mean, when I was four years old and I was visiting my grandfather in the hospital, I was in the little, there was like a little playroom mm. where the kids would kind of be, you know, sent off to as death surrounded everybody else. And um, there was a Santa, it was holiday time and Santa Claus came in and this guy was proselytizing. Mm. He was there and he goes, oh, you know, where are all the good Christian boys and girls? And I, as an ignorant four-year-old, was like, I bet my turn's next. <laughs> and then he gave presents to these kids and then turned around and started walking away. And my mother came in as this was happening and she yelled at the dude, good for her. Like basically like these, no one's in this hospital because something good is happening right now. Your like, mom yelled at fuck Santa? Is- that's so damn right funny. she yelled at Santa. In a Santa outfit? Yeah. Santa got a dressing down? Uh, he absolutely did. He, uh, yeah. My mother saw red and his outfit. <laughs> um, the, the, and she had every, she had every right to and reason to, and I'm really glad she did because that guy is a piece of shit. Hmm. Um, I don't mean Santa's a piece of shit. God, they'll never let me on the Hallmark channel again if I say that. But <laughs> he's, he's I real mean, and he's I a mean, great guy. Sorry. Go yeah. On. I mean, the guy using Santa as a way to try to trick children into religion was that's hmm. garbage. And that kind of stuff, I've seen that my whole life. And it's, you know, when you grow up with that. And by the way, I'm from New York. I'm not from some, you know, small town where I was the only Jew. I, my high school was 40% Jewish. Like I, I, but I still saw it, even in New York City. Mm. And so it's everywhere. Yeah, sorry. I just, you know, it was just, it was just a curious thing. Because like I feel, yeah. I feel like when something gets brought up negatively once, then there's like a bunch of people who kind of jump in to condemn the negative thing. And then a bunch of people then jump in to condemn or defend the original, like condemn the people for jumping in or defend the original thing. And then it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And then suddenly it's like this fucking narrative. And then we're all kind of stuck in it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure everyone just wants to go about their day. I got a theory that nobody cares about anything really. Like they just wanna they just wanna eat something and sit down. That's kind of where I'm at. I I wish that were true, but there are people who fuel their day on hate. I have like um I've I've got a I've got a neighbor who parks his truck to try to block my driveway. You know, like there's Just every day I guess that gives him joy. Just every day, just trying yeah. to block that driveway. Yeah. That's his goal. It gives him joy. And you know what, if, as long as I can maneuver my car around him, I take the, take that as joy. If that's how (laughs) empty your life is that you need that, go for it. But there are people who thrive on that stuff. A buddy of mine used to do a joke about how racism must be fun because when you meet a racist person, it's the first thing they want to (laughs) do. They can't wait. Like there are people who are super into it and I wish that everyone deep down just wanted to live their life and et cetera, et cetera. But I think the biggest problem is people who have unfairly been treated as superior their whole lives mm. see equality as oppression. Sure. And so in in their mind, they are fighting they are fighting being treated inferior. But really they're fighting against equality because they've just never felt it before. 
Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes total sense. Like if you've flown business class your whole life and they put you in coach, you're going to be like, hey, what the fuck? What, what did I ever yeah. do to you? I want my, yeah, exactly. my leg room like, and my reclinable chair. Yeah, the biggest thing when I, so I, I was not a Pennsylvanian yet. I was still living in California mm. in 2016. And there were all these interviews with people after Trump won where they were like, this rural Pennsylvanians, I, I don't know why they decided it was all Pennsylvania. <laughs> but I saw a couple different interviews and they all went the same way. They, you know, and this is, this is CNN, which is now more right than it was but at the time was fairly centrist. It definitely had, you know, progressive personalities and it definitely had right-wing personalities in the network. Mm. But their overall narrative was just like, let's keep people watching. So they're <laughs> interviewing these guys and every one of them says the same thing. Well, you know, I just want to put food on the table for my family and, you know, the jobs just aren't there anymore and we need someone who's going who's gonna to change that. And the reporters were all like, well, you know, that's a... That's a solid point. And I'm watching that being like, you're all fucking idiots because unemployment is down. The jobs aren't there in the town of 200 people anymore because that's not how jobs work anymore. And also you don't just get one because you're a white guy that graduated high school. Like now <laughs> you're fighting for jobs with women and with minorities. And that's something you've never had to do before. And these same people are like, well, you know, the, there just aren't there just aren't jobs for typewriter repair people anymore, and it's like because well, there aren't fucking typewriters. <laughs> so learn a new trade because the jobs that exist now will not exist in twenty years. The jobs that existed twenty years ago don't exist now. And so if you if you say I'm never leaving my town and I'm never learning a new skill, you know what? You're not going to have a job anymore, and that sucks. But that's not a politician's responsibility. And so that's that's someone who you know, had life handed to them and now they have to work for it and they're not willing to. Yeah, I think I always find that interesting. It's like people coming here, taking our jobs. It's like, you know, a lot of Australian people go to America and take jobs and I'll tell you where they're not. Rural Pennsylvania. No. <laughs> no, we are, we are in New York and LA and we're, coming, and we're coming for the good shit. You know what I mean? You don't. Well, yeah, but also they don't mind that because you guys for the most part are white, so. Thank you for noticing. Um, yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but no, look, we've, we've been we've been oddly sincere um, throughout this, but that's why I like talking to you because you're quite a sincere man. Um, Thank you. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about uh, the recipe. Your your special, it's out. We want people to watch it. Obviously, uh, I've seen it many times in many forms. I've seen it in in the UK. I've seen it in Europe. I've seen it in Australia. I've seen it on Zoom. I've seen it as the special. Um, would you describe it as like a one-man show versus a stand-up comedy hour? Like, is that is that something you'd use to describe it? You don't need to. I don't like when things are classified personally. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, it's still stand-up. You know, the, the laugh per minute is still there. Mm. Um, but it is designed to be in more of a... The, the concept of it was something that people would watch over and over like a movie. Um, there, there's a beginning, a middle, and end. There's character growth. There's arc. There's, uh, there's foreshadowing. Um, you know, stuff that is not a joke until you get it at the end. Um, it was written to be that, you know, and, at, you know, so far the response has been phenomenal. Um, it's been overwhelmingly positive. It's, you know, it's not every day that stand up makes people cry, and that's part of the goal with the special because one of the things I wanted to show 
is that laughter and tears are not that different. And, you know, on the, on the wheel of emotion, they're next to each other. Mm. And so I, you know, I wanted to show people that you can go between them. You can go back and forth. You don't have to be, it's not like, oh, I've been sad today. It's like, no, you can be sad for a moment and then laugh hysterically the next. And that's what I wanted to show. And like, do you, cause it does resemble a festival show more than yes. I would say an American club set. Now, just for those who are less versed in the world of stand-up comedy in America, as a headliner, as, as you are, you headline clubs, uh, in addition to doing your own tour shows. And the club set is what, 45 minutes, roughly? Um, I'm at the point now where my club set is about however long I want it to be. <laughs> um, which no, one, know, no is, one's lighting you? No one's playing you off, giving you the, the hook? It's like, Steve, no, we got I mean, we got some mozzarella sticks out the back. Get the fuck off, baby. Come on, let's go. I'm, I'm selling 300 tickets on a Tuesday. They don't like me. But <laughs> the, you know, but coming up in the clubs, uh, it certainly was, you know, it's a basically, a, you know, the headliner is doing 45 for the most part. Yeah. And whereas uh, in festival shows, which is what in Australia, there's a comedy festivals around the country. Uh, in the UK, there's a there's a bunch of comedy festivals as well. The show is an hour. And it's just you. Like, there's no opener. There's no MC. It's just like you doing an hour. And I would say that this kind of, as you said, there's a narrative. There's a structure. There's something you can kind of sink your teeth into more so than just like uh, 45 minutes of very funny jokes. Um, were you, because you've done Edinburgh once. You didn't like it. Yes. Uh, you didn't enjoy the Edinburgh. I liked aspects of it, but I found it to be, I found it to be ridiculous that the only people who don't make money off of Edinburgh are the performers. That's true. That's a very good point. Like I've always, okay. I, maybe I'll get you back for this because I don't know. Please, if you're fascinated by this, let me know. Get in touch with me because I would love to do just the driest episode about the economics of comedy ever. Like I would love to just, because we both do most of our own stuff. We see our own numbers. We know exactly where the money goes. We know exactly where it doesn't go. And just if you if you're interested in that, I'll get Steve back on and we can talk about it because it is amazing when you say to someone, "Yeah, I sold eight thousand dollars worth of tickets." Like, whoa, you made eight grand, and you're like, "No, no, no, I got two grand." And they're like, "Wait, what?" And it's just like, "Yeah, this is how this fucking thing works." Well, um, when I did Edinburgh, I sold eighteen thousand dollars worth, or sorry, eighteen thousand pounds worth of tickets. Yes, and of that, I got zero. You see. It's a fun system. And it's not because... Uh, look, I know that a lot of you Steve Hofstadter fans will think, well, that's just because Steve's on the bags, you know, is getting very excited by the recreational drug circuit and uh, going for <laughs> fancy steak dinners. Uh, no, this is, this is a man living life uh, economically and you still make no money. It's not being flashy. Yeah, I, d I don't mean that... Yeah, they, pay, they paid for the accommodations and they paid for the flight. Um, I didn't... I didn't lose money. I just lost a lot of the money I would have made if I worked anywhere else that week. Yeah. Um, or those two weeks. But, and also, you know, it's not like you're not working hard to do this. You're promoting your, you know, you're kicking your own ass to do show. You know, I mean, my, my show is at 4 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was just, you know, the promoters made money, the producers made money, the venue made money, the artists didn't make any money. Yeah. And the only money I made in Edinburgh was doing spots on other people's shows where like they would have a budget where they would give you a hundred quid to do 10 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and so that's the only reason I didn't actively lose money going over there. But um, th this show was designed not for my experience in the fringe. I started looking at stand up differently 
the first time I performed in England, I performed there about a month before the fringe. And so a lot of people were doing previews of their shows mm. and seeing what stand-up could be and seeing that not only, you know, I've always thought that, you know, stand-up could have a message, it could have an overarching theme, but seeing it as a, with a beginning and middle and end. And I started listening to more Mike Birbiglia because of it. And he does a lot of that as well. And I was just really inspired to write differently and to create something, you know, there are a lot of stand-up specials that from some of my favorite comedians where you hear the last joke and then they say goodnight and you're just like, what? That, <laughs> that was the, I guess it got the biggest laugh technically, but like it wasn't, that was just a, a five minute bit just put at the end of a, of a show. And so I started thinking about writing, you know, I mean, I started before I was doing stand-up, I started as a writer. And so I started thinking about it as like, okay, what would this be if it were just a story? What would it be as a book? What would it be, you know, et cetera. And so Secret Optimist was a bunch of individual bits that were kind of put together as a story. Mm. And then uh, the recipe was the first time I was like, okay, I have a point to make. What is that point and how do I get there? Yeah. And, you know, the one I'm working on now is it's, it's uh, titled uh, Me, Myself, and Id. And the premise of it is how people see ourselves, how we change as folks, etc. And, you know, how we see each other. Um, you know, a lot of it is about tolerance and about letting people do their own thing if that if it doesn't hurt you. And, you know, so I'm, I've got about 35 minutes of it now. And now I'm trying to be like, okay, I know what the through line is. But what is the overall point? And so now I'm starting to really structure it differently where I go, all right, what is the if someone described this in one sentence, what do I want them to say? And how do I get there? Yeah, so the the experience of doing the more festival show has kind of changed the way that you write now. Like you're like, hey, I, yes. that, that wasn't a one-off. That wasn't a, that's how I'm gonna do this. And until, you know, perhaps an, another way, another way presents itself. Yeah, until the robots take over. <laughs> Are you, not to get too into that, have you heard about AI being able to write jokes and shit? Are you are you on this? Because I would think I mean, of any I mean, comedians on it. If I think honestly, you are the comedian most at the forefront of technology. I would I would kind of argue that, not necessarily in your shows. I don't get the wrong idea. You're not going to go to Steve's shows and see like a Matt Ewan's type thing where he's like programmed like videos and done stuff to like you know bring the audience into the show or whatever. But in terms of embracing technology as a way to promote yourself, like just in general life, like you are, you're into it. You're like my dad when he, when he goes to the store and he's like, this is brand new. And then he buys it and he brings it home and he doesn't know how to use it, but you know how to use it. That's the only difference. I'm, I am definitely a technophile for sure. Um, mm. I like my, you know, my gadgets. I had, you know, I had a wireless internet hub on the road with me in 05. I mean like the. 05? Yeah, before most airports had Wi-Fi, like I had uh, a Verizon hub. It was like, uh, well, the first one was a thing. There was like a slot in the computer. You would like plug it in. It was this clunky thing. The, the dongle? Eventually, it was just like a, a standalone. What? The dongle? Do you guys call it a dongle? No, no, no. Pre-dongle. Pre Pre-dongle? This wasn't even dongle, baby. This was, this was a card. <laughs> this was like about the size of a business card, with, but, the, but much thicker. Yeah, um, like the the thickness of a cell phone with the size of a business card, and Dude, you would like plug it in. It's so hot um, when you talk about history with me. I love it. I oh, just yeah. like just the just bringing that on the road. People walking in the hotel room be like, "What the fuck is that?" And you're like, "The future." 
Oh, absolutely. Well, my first year on the road, I survived on AOL discs, but the, but I was always someone who was interested in stuff like that. Mm. I think, you know, I have a, and I don't want to say her name because she might be listening. I have a robot <laughs> assistant, um, from a very large, uh, company run by Jeff Bezos. You could figure out what it is. <laughs> and if you ever, if you ever tell her to tell you a joke, you have no fear of AI comedy right now. I mean, it is <laughs> horrific. Yeah. Does it does it bother you at all, like, the idea that they're going to come? Because, like, when everyone was like, the robots are coming, I'm like, well, I'm safe. I, 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 I can't be imitated by a computer. I'm so unique. And then you hear, like, a bot script say stuff, and you're like, yeah, fuck, that's not bad. You know, I could, I could well, clean that up, punch it up. But those bot, script, those bot scripts are, that's the joke. Those aren't written by bots. Those mm. bot scripts are written by people to make fun of bots. Okay. I like I don't think I I don't think I get. I don't I think I'm still I think I'm still in the dongle all the, era. All the all the things that are like, you know, we showed a thousand hours of this TV show to a bot and mm. it wrote this script like it's a it's a person imitating that voice like that's a human doing that. That's not a bot. Steve, like you know how you're the boy who cried, "Oh fuck," like you tricked Did me. I just ruin Christmas for you? you? You've previously informed me that Connecticut isn't a real state when I was very into the Gilmore Girls. And now whenever you tell me something, I, I, can't, I, I can't fully trust. You know what I mean? Like you just, I would like a little fact check. I like, like that okay, Twitter the, thing. You know what I mean? The thing that you will learn about me if you have not learned this yet and, and anything that I you know deem to be a prank is... The fun is the reveal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm never, when you see that I never contradict this, you'll know it's true. Like, Connecticut <laughs> thing, we told you pretty quickly. And it wasn't like I said, hey, Connecticut's not a state. You were like, I don't think that's real. And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, I was just, I just saw the opportunity. Um, but yeah, most, like, the AI stuff that is scary to people is to visual artists right now because there's mm. a lot of like painting apps and things like that 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 make things look like a you know visual art and so that i can see why they would be concerned why graphic designers why painters etc would be concerned i don't think i don't think live performers have to be concerned for a while I, i'm sure it'll come eventually but I'm already 43. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just worried about like the Daniel Muggleton hologram just kind of popping up and like doing my jokes, and it's like, but it's a, it's a it's a bot script, so like the irony isn't there. So it just really does come off a bit racist. Um, <laughs> the true concern of my comedy, the amount of people. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I think because yeah, I'm always I'm always very impressed with your sincerity, like online as well as offline. Like you're a very sincere guy. You kind of say things how it is. Like the amount of people that come up to me after shows sometimes is like, man, I love that. I just love all your racist jokes. And I'm like, is that, is that what I'm doing up there? I thought this was heavily ironic and we all knew what we were doing together, but you're just hearing oh, you, it being like, oh, you think so. And you also wore, uh, you know, a, a terrible hat to be ironic as well. The, <laughs> I, I learned that lesson early on when I did a joke about um, stereotypes and about, you know, one of the first jokes I wrote, it was literally in the first set I ever wrote. And, you mm. know, and then I did it for a while cause I had that joke, and <laughs> maybe half another one. Um, but the joke was that 
different stere- some stereotypes are complementary and some stereotypes aren't. Mm. And I talk about like, because I already in the set talk about how I'm Jewish, but a lot of people think I look Irish. And so I say like Jewish people, you know, like an Irish person, a stereotype when, it, when there's an Irish kid is like, when you grow up, you'll be a firefighter. And this Jewish person is like, when you grow up, you'll be cheap. And then I did this joke about like a Jewish firefighter and what that stereotype would be like. And I had someone come up to me at a show and after the show, she goes, now why are all Jews cheap? And I was like, what now? (laughs) And because she didn't, she heard the words without getting the meaning. And that taught me a huge lesson of the responsibility of what I say on stage. And there are lots of ways to do jokes and I don't begrudge anyone. And you actually walk a line that a lot of comics who think they do what you do, don't do. Um, you actually walk a line where if you are paying attention, you know that this is not a racist joke. This is a joke mocking racism. Mm. However, dumb people, i.e. racists, don't understand <laughs> the difference. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I appreciate that. That's a very nice compliment. Um, but do you... Thank you. Because this is the thing. Do, do, I don't think it's my responsibility. I, I think if you're a racist person and you come to see me to hear me be racist... I'll just take your money. Like I I don't I don't think I'm encouraging you. I just think you're hearing what you want to hear and you go baby you go. You know like that's that's fine. It is that is very possible and look there are people who take my jokes the wrong way all the time. Mm. Um but I have long held the belief that an artist is not responsible for the reaction to their work. Mm. They are responsible to react to that reaction. And mm. so if it's one person being stupid, who cares? There are going to be people who take jokes the wrong way all the time. But if you notice a pattern where someone, where repeatedly the same joke, people keep taking it the wrong way. Oh, sorry, there's a fi- uh, fire engine outside my window. Um, there, it's probably down, probably it manned by a bunch of Irish guys, huh? With these goddamn Irish firefighters. What? That's not a stereotype we have here. That was crazy when you yeah. said that. I was like, "What? Really? Okay." It's a it, and and that might not even be an American thing. That might be a New York thing. It was mm. just a very like, uh, you know, there there are a lot of Irish firemen in New York. Your your special, the recipe, is on YouTube. You should go stream it. It's a fantastic show. Um, I've seen it many times, and I really wanted to talk about the fact that I've just seen it kill in so many different countries in the exact same way which is like the most effective market research I've ever seen in my life. You know, like you just thank know you. that all translates. Uh, and I wanted to just say thank you, obviously, for all the opportunities and support you've given me in general. It is very rare that I am sincere, Steve, which is why I bury it at the 90th minute of a fucking podcast. That's how uncomfortable <laughs> it makes me to say thank you to someone. Um, well, I, I appreciate that. And I will say that, you know, I realized a while ago that like, I'm never going to be the funniest comic in the world. I, I, I'm not egotistical enough to think that I could ever crack anywhere near that. But what I do know is that I can do comedy and sincerity together in a way that a lot of people can't. And that's my niche. And that's what I'll do. And so if people want someone to be, and I've seen this with podcasts, like where I'll be on a podcast and I'll tell a story that's not funny at all, but it's just something that means something to me there'll be people in the comments being like oh that wasn't funny and i'm like well i wasn't trying to be in that moment i was being sincere and that's okay too and so if someone is okay with both of those things give me a follow if you need one or the other that ain't me (laughs) 
Yes, and uh, if if you if you are looking for sincerity, I suggest that you follow Steve and not me. Let's make that very clear. <laughs> um, I don't want to. I don't want anybody to know nothing about who I actually am. Um, beyond that, if you if you would like to see Steve and I be funny the entire time, uh, jump around our our regular. I'm not. Uh, it's still. It's a show. It's just an online show. It's not a podcast at all. Mm-hmm. It is an online show called Ask Us Everything. I'll chuck the description. Uh, and a link in the goddamn comments. You get to ask us questions. It's interactive. It is genuinely, and I don't know how you feel about it, the most I laugh each week, I think. I have a really good time doing that show. It is the most bizarre, niche, behind a paywall, like inside joke of a show you've ever experienced. But we have a really lovely time. Uh, and it's all drawn by ladies. It's got a visual thing. It's got, it's got a lot yeah. going on, the Ask Us Everything. I also truly love that it, it has built such a community mm. and like every now and then when someone comes in to watch for selfish reasons, I know that's weird to say, <laughs> but because they, because they want to be on camera and they want to be the star, like they don't fit in. It's, it's if you want to be part of a group where everybody's doing that together mm and laugh while you're doing it like it's it's a lot of fun yeah because we have regulars that have been coming for two years and like they are characters in the way that like any recurring character would be a character on the simpsons like they've got their attributes we play with them they come like they're part of it in such a genuine way like in, in a thorough way i've seen it happen at shows where people who are like kind of peripheral, like they'll pop in the show every now and then and, you know, or they they might watch the archives, but they're not actively part of the show. They'll see someone else in the audience from Ask Us Everything and they'll freak out like they're meeting a celebrity. It's the, it's wild. <laughs> it's really great. And it's, you know, again, just one of those things that would never have happened without the pandemic. And, you know, we just continue to do it. And it's 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 so fun. Um, anyway, Steve, thanks so much for jumping on. I'll definitely get you back on because, you know, it's, it is it is lovely to talk to you. And we should do the driest podcast episode ever where people who watch comedy and be like, what? $50 a ticket. And it's like, yeah, and this is why. Uh, it's not so yeah. Steve Hoff said I can feed his steak addiction. I really like pushing the myth because of that one question on Ask Us Everything ages ago where it's just like, what, do you guys spend $400 on steaks? It's like, what? Where did you get that from? Like, why is that a thing? Yeah. Anyway. Not at all. <laughs> um, you know where to find Steve Hofstetter. Uh, thanks, mate. Oh, sorry. One last question. Uh, and it's appropriate because you're about to go eight. This is the question that I'm going to ask every guest this year. You're the first person who gets to be asked it. Um, what is a food you love but never eat? Um, recently, poke. Because it is... It is one of my favorite things to eat, and you know my girlfriend is not a fan of it at all, and so I don't find myself eating it all that often. And also, like you know, when I'm in the middle of, no- in the middle of nowhere on the road, it's not easy to find. Mm. Um, and so I just, you know, I find myself. I when I was living in LA, I would probably have it two, three times a week, mm. and now I might have it two, three times a year. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because you can get it. But it, for me, it was uh, churros. I, I'd had churros like twice in my yeah. life. And every time I had it, I fucking loved it. I was like, what is this cultural, like this extra culture donut, this sauce? Fuck yeah, bro. This is sick. And then I just never, I would never order it until recently. Recently, I've had like five churros in a month. I was like, man, this is living, you know? Yeah. 
Like, I, I love these differently shaped donuts. Yeah, a straight donut? God, the circle was just so unyieldly. Um, <laughs> unwieldy? I can't fucking talk anymore. I don't know what happened to me. Anyway, um, Steve Hofstetter, thanks for doing it. I do appreciate it. Go eat dinner. And please, for the love of God, go watch his special. It has killed everywhere. Thank you, Dan. You're very welcome. All right, that was my chat with Steve Hofstetter. Now that you've listened to the whole goddamn thing, there's one more hour of your time to devote to this man, and that is to watch the recipe. Uh, Cannot recommend it enough. I said it in part one. I said it in part two. Fuck it, I know I said that part two is misleading, but this is part two. Why not? That's the file name on my computer anyway. Who am I fooling? Uh, go listen to and watch and goddamn watch his special, The Recipe. Uh, it is streaming now. I think as of today, it's just cracked 100,000 views or it's just about to crack 100,000 views within a week. Uh, definitely go give it a goddamn look. Uh, beyond that, uh, do you like do you like this? Do you like the idea of what I'm going to do when I introduce the Patreon when that happens where it's, you know, one bit, of my chat with someone, not necessarily the best bit, the worst bit, the first bit, the last bit, just one bit. And then this part, this episode you all just listened to uh, would exist on the Patreon. So for those who want more, for those who want the second piece of the Kit Kat, they can get stuck into that. Um, that's not set up at the moment. Don't worry about that. But just let me know. Email if you if you want to get in touch. Email me, message me on any form of social media you see fit. I'm at Dan Muggleton most of the time. The email address is dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. I get the emails. I might not always reply to them, but I get them and I read them. I want to thank Gladys and Kelly. Uh, Gladys and Kelly for responding to feeling Christmas neutral. I'm not the only one. They know what I'm talking about. I appreciate it. I can't wait to grow the movement next year. Uh, and the other thing for those who listened to my Christmas Neutral episode uh, about the bogus gig offer, I have written back. I've gotten in touch with old mate John Watkins, Hopkins. I don't know. I've got in touch with him. Uh, I've, I've said he said that he needs to know how much I, I'm going to uh, quote for this gig. Uh, so then he can start putting the wheels in motion, booking me flights and stuff like that. It's a soft approach. Uh, I assume he's going to need uh, some uh, identifying information from me, maybe a passport number, uh, maybe a driver's, you know, just something, something to kind of start sinking his teeth into me. Uh, but so far, smooth sailing with John. I mean, my God, egg on my face if this just ends up being a legitimate gig offer. But I just don't think it is. Just some combination of the name and at gmail.com, even though it's a university. I think, I think we're under something. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to let you know that is happening. Uh, there will be another episode on Monday. It'll be available Monday from 5 a.m. Eastern Australian time, whatever time zone Sydney's in, that's the one. It'll be on by 5 a.m. Uh, other than that, why are you still listening to this? For fuck's sake, open up YouTube, get onto the recipe, get onto it quickly. My name's even in the goddamn credits at the end. You got to watch this thing. You got to do it. All right, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the people who have taken the time to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're getting there. We're building the movement. We're going to keep going. 
The Dangenerates will rise. Are we okay, are we okay with that name? <laughs> I don't love it. I don't love it, but it's the best I've got right now. Good to hear from you. See you next week or hear me next week. Oh, God, I've got to figure out a fucking sign-off, don't I? Vertikoli, for the love of God, help me out. <laughs> <laughs>